And I think when we recognize that what we do matters, that it's not just the actions that we, you know, the physical actions that we take, but it's how we talk about it with others. It's how we think about it. It's how we, you know, engage with the systems. And that means, you know, again, going back to not trivializing ourselves into these little individuals, but thinking of ourselves as entangled and correlated and, um, and collective. We feel that we're in the system. And, and I think what we're saying with like, with when I'm thinking like quantum social change, it's like we are the system. Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and we are in collaboration with Intrepid End News. Today I speak with Karen O'Brien. Karen is professor in the Department of Sociology and Human Geography at the University of Oslo. Her research emphasizes the social and human dimensions of climate change and the implications for human security. Her recent books include You Matter More Than You Think, Quantum Social Change for a Thriving World, and Climate and Society, Transforming the Future. Karen has been named by Web of Science as one of the most influential researchers of the past decade. And in 2021, she was co-recipient of the BBVA Foundation's Frontiers of Knowledge Award for Climate Change. Karen is currently co-chair in the International Science Policy Platform for Biodiversity and Ecosystem Service Transformative Change Assessment. This conversation touches on what might seem like very complex issues, but Karen's approach and her language allows it to be quite accessible. We talk about entanglement, we talk about complementarities, we talk about fractals. We talk about the fact that we're all connected in the universe as one and looking at it through the lens of quantum theory, but specifically quantum social change and how some of the things that we do on a day-to-day basis reverberate throughout the system far, far away because of this entanglement. This is a different way of looking at our relationships with ourselves, each other, and the planet. Specifically, it gets us away from this idea of problem-solution, the linearity of cause and effect, and seeing that within this entanglement, there's a certain interaction. That is, we are the system rather than being independent actors within the system. This allows us to open up to different understandings of agency, as well as thinking about ourselves in terms of parts of an assemblage where we respond and not necessarily take action. Again, this doesn't have to be overly complicated or complex. There's very coherent ways of understanding this, and Karen is wonderful at explaining them. So I invite you to check out our website, www.coconut-thinking.design. And in the meantime, I will leave space for my conversation with Karen O'Brien. Hi, Karen. I've been so much looking forward to this conversation. Looking forward to exploring your book, You Matter More Than You Think, your ideas that have to do with quantum theory, quantum social theory, in ways that are quite understandable the way you've presented in your book, and also some of your post-humanist approaches. But all of this might seem quite intimidating to our listeners, but, but really the way you present it and the way that you bring in different media make it very accessible. So I'm so keen to go into these ideas. The first question that I'll ask you is the question we ask all our guests, which is, who are you and what story do you want to tell? Yeah, hi, and thanks for inviting me on your podcast. Um, Yeah, that's a profound question. Uh, My name is Karen, and I stand for oneness, integrity, courage, and full potential for myself and others. And um, and that's really like the story I want to tell is about um, mattering and 
why um, you and I and we matter more than we think um, in the context of um, global challenges like climate change and biodiversity loss and growing inequality. And in the story I want to tell, um, you know, that's the context, but the protagonist is really you and me and everyone. And um, the antagonist really um, could be considered the old patterns of thought and ideas that have kept us in um, in a situation where we're, um, we're like fragmenting the world, we're in a polariz polarizing politics, and we're really destroying the, um, the Earth. So it's, it's a suspense story, and it could have a tragic ending, but I also think it could be the hero's journey that um, where we really start to recognize that, um, that we do matter more than we think. And there's, there's, again, this message of optimism there about mattering. Uh, but of course, you use the word matter in a nuanced way, but we'll, we'll get to that in, in just a bit. Second question we ask, just to get a definition from uh, from everyone or a sense from everyone, uh, um, and one day maybe we'll we'll write a book about it and collate everything. But how do you define learning? Mm, um, yeah, I'm an educator, and I, I think learning is about opening up minds and um, and approaching the world with curiosity and interest and being willing to ask questions and you know constantly ask questions. So it's not just about studying or having these experiences and acquiring data and facts and information and knowledge, um, but it's really about like developing wisdom and being able to put wisdom in action. And, and I think that, you know, my own experience with learning is I often, you know, when you learn, you learn how much you don't know, you learn how much people have been saying this for millennia. And, um, and I think it's, um, it's really an opening up and inquiring into, you know, who we are, what we're doing, how we are together. So um, yeah, lots of um, important questions. And I think once, as I, say, I think successful um, learning is, you know, is continual. It doesn't, it goes way beyond um, formal education. And this idea that we figure out how much we don't know is, is so important. And particularly when, when we write about the quantum, because that's something that will stretch even the greatest of, of minds. And it, that is a total appreciation and embracing of things that we don't know because it doesn't make any sense. Can you, can you provide maybe a little bit of a background about your experience and, and how you were, became interested in, in quantum theory and, and maybe introduce in, in ways that we can um, grasp and, and work with? What, what are some of the weirdnesses that are involved? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, at, at the, the, you know, foundational level that reality is not what it seems, I think is very intriguing. And, you know, what does this actually mean? And so, you know, years ago, I read Donna Zohar's books on the quantum self and quantum society and I thought it was very interesting and and um, for Jeff Capra's book um, yeah there, there's so many um, books on it but I never really connected it with the work I do on climate change and and what thinking about the implications for social change but um, but you know, looking at, you know, like what we don't know about reality or the many different, you know, what, what's going on at the subatomic scale and what is the nature of the universe in terms of quantum in that, you know, both particles and waves can exist at the same time until we measure them. You know, these ideas of entanglement or non-local correlation or correlation. And, um, you know, all of these like concepts and things are, you know, just fascinating. And you can say like, wow, the world is a great mystery. And yet we look at society and we think of ourselves as very deterministic and this is you know this is who we are this is the way we are and so um 
about 12 years ago or so, I came across that, you know, social scientists were really looking at what quantum physics means in terms of metaphors, in terms of methods, and in terms of the meanings. And I thought, wow, this has a really, you know, strong implications for how we approach global challenges, which are collective action problems where we need to show up differently. And so that idea of, you know, like, well, what would quantum social change look like really intrigued me. And it led me in, you know, down many, you know, into looking, reading a lot about, you know, the history of quantum physics and, um, you know, what does it actually mean and how is it being used in quantum decision-making, quantum game theory, et cetera. And, and what does it mean, you know, for the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and how we can. And so that idea of potentiality that we you know that that we live in this probabilistic um, world and we're collapsing a you know wave of potential in every moment again and again and again and so um you know linking with like this idea that we are um, like processes rather than you know that it isn't just this like things in space um yeah, I just thought like, wow, how can we, you know, how can we actually use this different way of thinking, which aligns very much with indigenous and local knowledge and with wisdom traditions and things that people have been saying for, you know, millennia. Um, you know, how does, how can this knock us out of our, our very, um, you know, like kind of a, a rational deterministic reductionist thinking. And because I'm so concerned about, you know, how do we respond to issues like climate change and biodiversity loss in, um, you know, at this rate, scale, speed, and depth that is unprecedented in human history, it, it really led me to like, okay, let me just open up an inquiry and see where we go. And that's what I try to do in the book. And so when we talk about these probabilities and the fact that that there is no certainty and and moving away from a reductionist deterministic mindset. Um, the, the, the classic example or, or understanding what determinism is, is the cue ball, the billiard ball. You, you hit a white cue ball and you could figure out where exactly it is. But that's not how the world works. Um, when we look at it, not just at some atomic levels, but, but even beyond. C can you explain a little bit how we can move away from this or what that means? Because we're so used to thinking about cause and effect, particularly in schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cause and effect and kind of seeing the world as a giant machine that we just have to like program and figure it out. And and then if we actually know everything, then we'll know exactly what will happen in the year, you know, um, 2098, you know, January 7th. And, you know, like with weather prediction, we're trying to figure that out. But, you know, we know from chaos theory, from emergence, from complexity theory, all of these things that there's other things that, you know, there's, there's other things at play here. And to me, um, like, there's no, um, you know, it's it's fascinating that there's no, like, consensus interpretation of quantum physics. That's, you know, like that we can just say that reality is not what it seems, and um, you're constantly getting new ideas and ways of thinking. Like, how does this relate to um, gravity? To you know, that um, there's. Uh, yeah, it, it, again, it, you know, when we talk about learning, it raises more questions than gives answers, and and it's so intriguing. And when we start to just think of ourselves not just as these, you know, like separate beings that are, you know, I am separate from you, which, you know, clearly we have boundaries and, and things, but if we actually think of ourselves in a relational perspective and then the whole universe and our uh, everything we do becomes relational and the 
like issues like climate change become relationship problems. So how do I relate to myself? How do we relate to each other? How do we relate to nature? How do we relate to systems? And how do we relate to the future? So getting down to, you know, going back to the education, how do we relate to change itself? Is it this causal deterministic thing? Or do we have room for maneuver? Is it possible to do things differently? Is it possible to realize alternative outcomes? And, you know, there's different interpretations of quantum physics, but quantum Bayesianism or cubism is really about our bets on the future. And it puts us as people into the equation. We are part of the nature that we're trying to change. And, um, and it really, you know, yeah, it gives us, I think that, um, not just like hope about the future, but potentiality. And it's not about just, you know, waiting for other things, waiting for a deterministic outcome to evolve, but to actually taking actions and having agency right here and now. And this brings up uh, another point of uh, Karen Barad and her agential realism and this idea of agency and this idea that it's not just people that have agency, everything has agency. That we live in these assemblages, that we exist. We, we don't even live in these assemblages or exist. We we become in these assemblages, and everything has agency. Can we? Can you maybe explain a little bit what that means? Because the, the term agential realism it, it sounds kind of scary. But but what is it exactly? How how can we conceptualize the world that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's it goes back to mattering, you know, and her, you know, her connection between mind and matter. And and when I say matter, it's not just material substance, but it's also significance. And and I think in agential realism, we're we're really looking at that, you know, that we're not separate from nature, and nature isn't just something out there to be manipulated, to be controlled, to be managed, etc. And and what she's saying, and what many um, humanists are saying, and many um, you know tra- wisdom traditions and um, indigenous worldviews are saying is that you know everything has matter, uh, you know everything has um, ha- like has consciousness, and you know panpsychists that it goes all the way down, and that everything has agency, and um, and uh, acting upon the world. So, um, you know, like uh, when I you trip over a, a branch or something like that, that uh, you're, you're giving that, um, you're, you're recognizing that we are not just um, the, the manipulator subject object and, and that entanglement of, um, you know, agency, like matter is a congealing of agency, as Karen Barad writes, I think is, it gives us a different way of looking at our place in the universe. And, um, you know, her book is about meeting the universe halfway and, Many of the people working on um, like quantum social science and um, in that philosophy is saying like, you know, we do have meaning in the universe and that's where you matter more than you think. It's not just what we think, but it's how we are, who we are, how we show up. And um, and it, it, it challenges us then to, you know, how are we? relating to you know you know trees and fish and other species and and how are we you know relating to the climate system to me it's um yeah i think for many people you know to think about us as having an effect on large scale systems is like wow that's incredible but you know how can we from the perspective of quantum social change we we are the systems we are the collective and so it, it gives us that um that power to actually um you know consciously show up with agency and and say like what kind of world do we want to live in collectively if we are entangled and that brings us to values that brings us into um you know just to to think about what is significant what matters to me and again this this nuance the word matter because the values are matter and they matter and they become matter and there's just so many different perspectives and and ways to handle this 
can you can you perhaps go into a little bit what that means? Because when I, you know, when, when people most traditionally think of matter, they think textiles, things that you can touch, or the thing that matters that's really important to me, but they don't necessarily make the connection between the two. How how are how is that word so complex, matter and mattering? Mm, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's a beautiful word because it's like that, you know, it's like mind and matter have been kept as separate. And that's the dualism of, um, you know, like of Western science that has really led to, um, you know, like the enlightenment, the age of, um, of you know, like rational thinking, age of reason, etc. And, and I think that when we start to really like open up what matter is, what mattering is, it, it, it brings in all those nuances that you talk about and that, um, that, that the material world that we live in is actually, you know, like being co-created. It is something that isn't just um, a given. And so what we do, again, you know, how, like, are we going to, you know, we are already committed to sea level rise and some warming just from the momentum in the system. But um, whether we actually move towards a, a world that is, you know, um, two degrees, three degrees, four degrees Celsius warmer um, than it is today, or we have like, you know, 50 centimeters or a meter or two meters or seven meters of sea level. It really, like, it depends on how we show up and how we matter literally, physically, and, but also in our thought patterns. And so to, um, to really, you know, to really grasp the, um, the significance of mattering in the moment is, I think, the, you know, the challenge we're all facing now. And to see that we are entangled, um, you know, non-locally through language, through meaning, through values, through emotions, and, um, and that, you know, as humans, we try so hard to connect, but it's like we are connected and we try to connect with nature. We are connected with nature. And that realization um, is it involves um, really thinking differently and um, but also experiencing, you know, being open to experiencing um, the world in a different way. And um, there's no doubt that that's challenging. And so what is entanglement? Well, entanglement in our everyday language is like being twisted together or entwined. And, you know, we love that word, you know, this is also entangled, you know, entangled. But in quantum physics, you know, quantum entanglement is um, this um, what Einstein referred to as spooky action at, at a distance, but it actually involves no action. It means when I take a measurement on one um, particle or, you know, one part of a system, I, um, I, I automatically at the same time have information about another part of a system that could be separated in space and time. And, and that idea that there is no action between them, but it's just correlation or, you know, like it's re a relational um, dimension. And in our everyday classical world where we see that ice melts at certain temperatures and we bump up against things, you know, we have so much noise and so much information that, that we don't see that type of entanglement. So physicists will be, you know, the first um, and importantly to say like, yeah, the entanglement is a subatomic process and you can, you know, but it is the nature of reality. And the division between the quantum world and the classical world, you know, it's almost as if, okay, there's two separate worlds, but, but science is showing that it's, you know, it is a quantum world and it's the classical world that is just a, 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 um, a version of the quantum world where everything kind of messes up and, you know, you get like things that are much more probable and it's much more likely that, you know, like that it's that if I, um, if I jump out a window, I will fall. There's, you know, that we have the laws of physics and we, you know, those are really important, but what's important also is to be able to 
think metaphorically to be able to take these ideas and think about, you know, how are we entangled through, you know, that, that language isn't a physical thing where I say this and it hits you and you say this, but that we have shared meaning as speakers and listeners and we collapse the wave of potential meetings into a speech act. We, you know, we have a whole range of values, but the ones that we're prioritizing in any moment, they, they actually have impacts on what we do, how we organize society and what types of solutions we're, um, we're seeing. And so it kind of widens the solution space for addressing you know, these challenging problems. And it puts us as individuals and, um, and groups into, you know, like that we actually, we do matter and what we do matters right here and now. And of course, even the word solution becomes problematic because when we think about problem solution, it too has this mechanistic linear um, connotation or, or ways of thinking. So how do we work with that word solution? Just like how do we work with word action that feels like we're separate from the whole because we act on the whole to influence the whole. Mm -hmm. Like these, like you said, these words matter. I'm going to use that just uh, time mm -hmm. <laughs> But they do and, and, and the values and, and the baggage that they have it's hard to get away. And and what you do that I think is, is so incredibly clever is you create your own words with, with, with brackets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, and I think it's, it's, it's a limitation of the English language because many other cultures and, um, and, you know, point out like there are many languages that, that don't separate subjects from objects or humans from nature. And we are so challenged to, to actually, you know, our, our dualistic thinking goes very deep. And so, you know, to how to, you know, look at solutions and dissolutions, you know, how do we, you know, like how, it's um, it's a it's it's something that you know and, and it helps us to have these very like you know box things into you know meanings and have definitions and define boundaries and things it helps us maneuver in the world and everything but when it starts to actually influence as, as we see that you know that we're actually killing ourselves in the process then it's it, it's really worth opening up this inquiry and looking at like well how how does the language that we speak and that's where you know I think I include a chapter on metaphors mattering because metaphors really they create a reality that we have and, and much of science and including the language of quantum physics is taken from language it's metaphorical entanglement was you know it's like it goes way back into the Middle Ages. So, so we're using language constantly to, um, you know, to describe and and kind of live the worlds that we're that we're in. And and I think that um, to be aware of that is is important. But just you know, to see the the limitations that language can't express everything. And that's where, you know, in the book we use art too. A collaboration with Norwegian artist Tone Bjørdam. That you know, some things are better you know um, said through art and not necessarily through the mind, but through um, you know, like our our full body. And I think that's important. Going back to learning and education, that we don't just try to fill our minds, but we try to really you know get the head, heart, hands um, approach um, to be. Um, like just the normal approach and head heart hands and each other as well uh, because mm -hmm. we're entangled um, and, and this opens up to this idea uh, of the fractal the fractal changes and how that works could, could you go into a little bit what that means so because the you know with all these words like eco-anxiety that are coming up now and how oh what can i do and, and i'm afraid and, and and that too feels so isolating it, it used to be about elections well my vote doesn't count now it's my actions don't count Mm. What do we do? How do these fractals work to actually respond to the crisis mm -hmm. in a way that gets us maybe out of it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, um, fractals are self-similar patterns that repeat um, recursively, so that you know they, it's the you know we see them in nature, in you know leaf patterns, river patterns. Uh, um, beehives, um, et cetera. And you can generate them through algebra and through math, you know, like you, you come up with really cool patterns and and everything. But in social in the social world, fractals are, you know, they have values embedded in them. And so they're patterns that we repeat. And when you and you can think, you know, in urban fractals and, you know, like there, there are ways of like fractal politics where where you go beyond local and global and the, the whole idea of scales as we conceive them really falls apart because it's really like pattern, 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 pattern. And um, patterns and processes then become the nature of how we, you know, organize society, how we relate to each other, et cetera. And so when we start to think about what I do as an individual actually influences you know, it's it's creating a pattern, context specific, but if it's based on the values that apply to the whole, the biggest version I can think of, you know, like the, you know, the at a at a global scale or universal scale, you start to see that, wow, I'm making these patterns and what you're doing um, is also if, if it's aligned what what you're doing and you might not even know what I'm doing, but it's it, we're actually creating a larger pattern. And if you have, you know, hundreds of people doing something and creating these patterns, then it becomes a, you know, like it's more and more. And you end up with like a field of change, a relational field of change. Then and that's where, you know, fractal approaches to scaling transformations can be very powerful rather than waiting, you know, like local, global, top down, bottom up. And um and I think when we recognize that what we do matters, that it's not just the actions that we, you know, the physical actions that we take, but it's how we talk about it with others. It's how we think about it. It's how we, you know, engage with the systems because often in, um, especially with climate change, we tend to reduce people to their carbon footprints or their individual actions at the same time as we have, we're perpetuating systems that are polluting, extracting, um, you know, oppressing these, you know, we're still um, investing heavily in fossil fuels. We're not investing in things that can reduce risk and vulnerability. And so if we start to think of ourselves as, you know, entangled and mattering in every moment, you know, and, and really consciously showing up differently in how we design um, things, what we do, how we how we organize ourselves, there's um, that that power, it's it's exponential. It's not a linear thing. And that, you know, metaphorically, you know, we talk about a quantum leap, which isn't an actual physical leap through space, but it's just where another, you know, like that we like basically another wavelength. <laughs> so, and I think that that, you know, if you use resonance and vibration and musical um, analogies that, you know, we really do need to make that quantum leap to a whole different um, phase of humanity right now. So there's a couple of things that I want to pick up on here. Um, the, the first is this idea, because this is going to make unsettle people because of this old adage of uh, think global, act local. People are talking a lot, especially in schools, this movement towards global citizenship, this idea that if we do things locally, then eventually we need to move on to the global. And they do see it on the on the scale. So, so what, what are you suggesting here of maybe a different way of conceptualizing rather than this global local continuum? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think, you know, you can say think, lo- think global, act local, think local, act global. You know, it's like it is one and the same. And it really is that. You know that, that that the local is global. The global is local. There are manifests in you know, different manifestations or lenses that we that we look at. And and to me, the you know, like 
the idea that we as individuals can influence global systems like the climate system, you know, it can be mind boggling for many because, you know, we thought it was like sunspots or, you know, the Milankovitch, you know, like cycles of the earth rotation or God or anything but us. And suddenly we're realizing that we are actually having an impact on the global environment. And, um, and we know that from, you know, like in, in, um, climate change research that it's not just these big global patterns that change, but many individual small patterns are also contributing to it. You know, deforestation here, there, the pinpricks of deforestation and land use changes add up to a significant global challenge. But we don't think of that when we think about our own selves as these little pinpricks of little actions and everything. We don't say that, like, wow, we can also um, contribute to systems change. And when we start to relate to systems differently and start to see like, okay, what needs to shift in this system? Because many of our systems are designed based on a um, on a paradigm of separation, of a paradigm of exploitation, of, you know, many of these isms that, you know, kind of keep people separate and apart and in hierarchies. And, um, and when we start to look at, you know, ourselves differently, we realize that like, yeah, we're, we are part of a whole. And, um, you know, I, I, when I um, was first inquiring to this and I asked an expert on quantum social theory, like, what does this mean for climate change? It's like, I think, you know, we're, it's, it's, it, it compels us to think of ourselves as one quantum social organism. And, and that means, you know, again, going back to not trivializing ourselves into these little individuals, but thinking of ourselves as entangled and correlated and, um, and collective. And I, and I think that that um, it, 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 it asks us to show up differently. And to me that there's a lot of power in that. And it, when, you know, to, in going back to Karen Barad's agential realism or what others call participatory realism, that um, that the world isn't just as it is, but it's um, it compels me again to open up my mind and think differently and, um, and act differently. Um, and of course, the flip side of the same coin or the other, the, the yin and the yang, is when we act in certain ways that reverberate that toxicity in the system that also releases and reverberates as fragments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah, and then it goes into like, what are the values that are being, you know, like, and who's included in your circle of care? And, and that's where, you know, like, if when you think about, you know, like how, you know, like, yeah, who's included, because things can be like, oh, a very, this is a very nice fractal, but it fragments at a certain scale. And I can say that, you know, like with, you know, can be very, you know, sustainable as a household or as a city or as a nation. And if we're still extracting fossil fuels and exporting weapons and things that you're, you're creating, you're contributing to a fragmentation at a global scale. And, um, and so this us and other idea is, is constantly intervening somewhere. So, you know, like, and, and that's where, you know, like the, it's not neutral, <laughs> you know, like fractals in nature are, you know, might be neutral. They don't have these, but, but it is a, again, that like to have those ideas of, yeah, what you think is good for your group might not be good for the whole planet. And to be addressing, you know, how, how do we, you know, take care of rivers? How do we take care of all species? How do we take care of each other? How do we take care of future generations? You know, like it's the, you know, like it's that largest circle of care in, in terms of social consciousness, being able to see that, that connections. And um, if we don't do that, we, you know, we end up replicating exactly what, what you're talking about. And those aren't, um, those are not like sustainable um, <laughs> um, uh, um, changes. So, 
it's not just what we do, but it's like the means of transformation. It's also the manner. So, you know, are they ethical? Are they equitable? Are they sustainable? And for all. And that's where I think, you know, we have to be able to stand for values that that connect everybody through this, a causal entangled space and equity oneness, dignity, compassion. You can't say that that applies to some, but not others. <laughs> you know, they are something that, you know, that connects us all and all species. So, so it goes again to, you know, like how, how do we think of ourselves and um, in the universe? And um, it's, it's, a, it's a huge question, but it really comes down to very simply, like to practice, to what am I doing in every moment? You, you mentioned metaphors and, and the, the one that came to my mind earlier was when you said, uh, or you use metaphors like mind over matter, that right there separates. Uh, another one that I was thinking is is um, Heraclitus, who, who said we never step in the same river twice. And this idea of river flowing, it sounds absolutely poetic. And then I read Braiding Sweetgrass, which is absolutely marvelous. And, and, and she writes that, well, actually, a river still goes from point A to point B. So it, it might flow, but it's still linear, whereas... Um, First Nations people conceptualize time and space rather like the lake, where because of the circularity of it, and and just this metaphor of a river as you know everything flows, time flows. We might think that we're being poetic with it, but but in actuality, even that's linear. Whereas the entanglement could be that lake where it, it just all comes together. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and and that's I, I'm reading braiding sweet grass now, also and loving it, and I think that um, you know like I mean quantum physics is talking about backward causation as well, and so like both time you know time space the reality that um, that we experience in our everyday lives is not what we think, and so that's you know it, it goes into um, to all of that of just that and and I think you know I originally had a, a chapter called time matters, but it is it's mind boggling to to actually think about how this actually works and yet there are many cultures that aren't in our linear progression of past present future and many languages don't have those tenses or um, and so it, it compels us to really again open up to you know like wow what yeah what if what we do matters not just now but for the past and so I'm you know very um yeah I think it's intriguing and I think that just that the uncertainty and the many different interpretations and, and recognizing the diversity, not just of worldviews, of, but of worlds that we're living in, gives us, you know, an opening to think about, yeah, which one would I choose? You know, and, and that goes back to, you know, your opening question about, you know, right, what story do you want to tell? It's like, what if we could each write that story in a way that is, you know, like, um, yeah, coherent with with the whole, and and that's you know to me it's um, it, it opens up um, lots more possibilities, and this idea that we are like processes, and that there's nothing that is fixed, and that I can um, I can do things differently, I can change, I can think differently, and um, and of course you know for the roll your eyes like easier said than done <laughs> because it, it does take practice. And this opens up a whole question about schools and the system that is so resilient and the system that is based on fear that if you don't succeed in school and by success, I mean the, the success criteria of the game of school, you won't get into the right university and you'll end up living under a bridge or be some kind of social outcast. That system is very resilient and, and, and hard to change. And, and yet, you know, every classroom, every teacher, every student, every administrator will also say, what can I do? I'm in a system and and, and I have these, these stakeholders, these care holders. How can we start to think about the change responding within a school system that 
really is is resilient as well because we're dealing with children, our children, and we we want the best for them. And and, and there's fear uh, that that that's such a powerful emotion there. What can we do in the school context? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's 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 important because like our schools were designed from a particular mindset with a particular, you know, if you go back to like Paulo Freire and his banking system of education, where we're filling people with knowledge so that they can go and produce and be a good, you know, like follow the script that we've, um, you know, that that we've set up as a society, the the larger narrative and and we feel that we're in the system and and i think what we're saying with like when i'm thinking like quantum social change it's like we are the system so what is my intervention point and how do you know what can i change what is my sphere of influence here how can i actually like you know generate more flexibility within this to to make it change um like when i change it changes um and that type of way and if we had instead of um you know like all the educators within a school system exactly you know thinking that oh i'm in the system i can't change it to oh these are just you know the 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 structures the norms the rules the regulations the institutions these are just um things that we are um we're constantly um, reproducing again and again and again and again in the moment and if we step out of line we end up being you know like brought back in line you know you cannot do that and everything but it is that it goes back to that collective how do we collectively want to organize and what we see is that we ended up with more like you know kind of like alternative schools emerging on you know like outside of school systems or you know like experiments and things but if we want to change the school system we actually have to you know it has to be from everything from like you know how we how we relate to students or with students how do we you know how do we design the curriculum what kind of you know our teaching methods and and so it gives you a thousand entry points for transforming education and and making you know like opening it up but it's um it it's taking it takes agency it takes action it takes design it takes you know it's like it takes, it takes strategy as well it's not just going to happen by you know like people just going like oh i want a different system but but how do we work together to create that different thing and i think that there's you know, you know every conversation is going to contribute um to that but but at the same time the system itself is it's not delivering what it needs to now and i think you know when we going back to issues like climate change um we're we're not preparing future generations and we are not preparing ourselves for the types of changes we're seeing and so there's an impetus there's a a a demand for a different type of education which is aligned with transformative learning which is, is aligned to um you know just different ways of um of of working with um, yeah, getting out of those structures that are, are actually perpetuating business as usual. And this is such an interesting part, again, about this linearity of preparing kids for the future. Now, of course, there's uh, the, the already familiar trope that, well, we don't know what the future is going to hold. How can we prepare them for the future? Also moving into, we need to prepare them for now, for the now. And I recently heard um, a bit of a tongue in cheek comment saying, we're not even prepared for what's already happened. Mm. Absolutely. And and you see that in mental health crises, you see that like that, you know, we're like, there's so much like, you know, collective trauma in society. There's so many, you know, like that we, we haven't um, really grasped, like, you know, how do we, the, the future generations are here, <laughs> they have been here, 
And so how do we, you know, what is it that um, that we we need to, to actually activate that full potential in every human being to be part of that, the, you know, like a whole part. And, and, and that's where like, you know, being able to develop that integrity of not just, you know, like doing what you say, but being whole, a whole person and un unleashing that potential as transformation. I think that's the, the challenge. And, um, and, you know, what's more dangerous to those who with vested interests who are in power than people who are empowered and the people who are asking questions, people who are um, doing, uh, you know, so, so, and we've seen that again and again. And as you went back to, you know, when you said uh, like, yeah, not all change is good. Not all, you know, like of um, movements are on behalf of everybody are inclusive and the whole and and so so there's a lot of nuances to this and there's a lot of ways that every paradigm can be used and abused so you know critical thinking then has to be part of our our um, our learning and education but also like creativity and you know like just thinking about like how do we engage people and I think there's um there's a lot of healing that needs to happen even in schools and, and just you know just knowing how people being boxed into a certain you know curriculum and identities of um of there it's like it takes a lot of unpacking to when I get students at university to to be able to see that like wow there you know how do you um how do you get help to to open up a different way of um of thinking and being through you know a course on climate and society for example and you bring in you mentioned this earlier in your book you have artwork and bringing in as you mentioned like different ways to 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 access different parts of the brain perhaps the uh, the right brain or, or other ways to to move beyond just the pure cognitive words on a page how how does that work or, or what is maybe a little bit of the the, the thinking and the feeling behind presenting art as a way of, of mattering and, and, and learning. Mm. Well, I think, you know, it's part, it was part of a research project also. Um, the, my project was Adaptation Connects on combining old and new knowledge to enable conscious transformations um, to sustainability. And, and Art Connects really, you know, I think the first time that I really felt that climate change matters was when I was at a climate art event and it really like hit me in the heart. And I think, you know, like, so, recognizing you know this that, that it's not you know like science art and things that they, like science is creative and art is scientific as well and and recognizing also that you know like that that different forms speak to different people and you know modeling results and data and colorful graphics and things like that might appeal to some people but for other people it is stories it is music it is artwork and um in my collaboration with tona Bjordam, you know first i said you know like oh could you do some illustrations and when she did the the like uh drawing of the three spheres of transformation and it came out like an eye i was like wow and so we started it was during covid we started to um to talk about all the you know like what would it you know entanglement look like and she she you know very much connects with nature and is um you know, lives in nature um, in the in the forest and and so it helped me to see what the words were meaning in a different way and it helped her to like look into like okay what does this actually mean and and I've gotten comments of like Karen I didn't understand anything in the book but the artwork spoke to me and I got it <laughs> and I think that that's really what we're trying to do all the time in society is to give different ways of knowing different ways of being you know access to um you know like just you know, like the the meanings that are that are emerging. So, yeah. So I think that we like a 
if if I had to sum up like what the you know quantum social change, it really is this both and. It's not the I. It moves us away from either or. And I think if that's one thing people could you know in terms of practice that we could start to see when we move into us them you me you um, us them either or and get into a both and um, perspective. Listen, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to open this up to perhaps your your plans or what's on your horizons or what's what's next for you, uh, short term, long term. What's on your mind? Mm. Well, right now I'm co-chairing an international assessment for the um, Intergovernmental Science Policy Panel on Bi for Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, and it's um, it's really a, a wonderful opportunity to you know to to. Um, it's called for by governments and to really look into, you know, the how of transformation and, um, it, you know, bringing in, you know, everything that we know and providing the options and a, and a, a narrative on, you know, what do we do and how do we respond to global challenges? So, and that's, you know, like, like my academic um, hat and, um, you know, following on that though, I really want to support a you matter movement and that, that really helps people to really think about, you know, like their, their potentiality and agency and, um, and rather than, you know, you know, we we still tend to be quite polarized. You believe or you do not believe in climate change. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, yeah, I think, you know, like our ways of expressing dissent are often as polarizing as the um, situation, the problem. So giving the, you know, helping to develop like the the tools and the practices and the, the ways of actually, you know, being able to show up differently and create, you know, very powerful fractals of change. You know, that's my, um, I think, where I'll be putting a lot of my time in the coming years is to, you know, really to, because we need to actually have some results. We need to bend the curves. We need to, um, to do things differently because we are in the decade that matters and science tells us that you know we don't have you know the the losses are very you know, unimaginable and um and i think that's where you know, the potential isn't in 2029 2030 it's right here and right now listen thank you so much for your time yeah thanks for inviting me great to talk to you this has been the coconut thinking podcast thank you so much for listening i'm your host benjamin freud Check out our website on www.coconut-thinking.design where we've got articles, resources, publications, presentations, videos, a whole bunch of things that I hope really stimulate the conversation. And as always, we look forward to your feedback. We do Coconut Thinking as a space, really, to have these conversations. Our thinking changes, our feelings change, and uh, this only happens through uh, conversations with our listeners, our writers, and uh, the people who contribute to also check out Intrepid Ed on www.intrepidednews.com. I'll throw that Coconut Thinking website at you again, www.coconut-thinking.design. We will take a short break for the winter holidays and we'll be back in January. So in the meantime, have a wonderful rest of December and a happy new year. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.